this morning we are here the boxes uh, yeah let's pray and we'll get into it father god thank you for this glorious day that you have made and we rejoice in the beauty of your creation and in the splendor of your holiness and righteousness and and attributes which you you, you we get a little glimpse of through through the creation itself, which ultimately all points to you. And Lord, we, we glory in, in who you are and what you have done for us through your son, Jesus Christ, and in saving um, us, your people, for yourself, that we may glorify you and enjoy you forever. So Lord, be with us now. As we look, continue to look at your attributes, would you be glorified in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Okay, we're on session 16. Come back, Dylan. Um, session 16, and we're going to be looking at still on God's moral attributes. Lord willing, we'll finish them off today. Um, and we're going to be looking at uh, God's righteousness and his wrath. So firstly, the righteousness of God. And okay, in the recent sermons, I think two weeks ago, we, we focused on God's righteousness. So this is hopefully familiar territory um, for, for us. Um, and what we mean, what the Bible means when the Bible talks about righteousness is it's a forensic term. It's a judicial term. Okay? It's, it's a term that's used basically in the court of law. Okay? If someone is um, accused of a crime... And the judge has their case, and the judge deems them to be not guilty. They, in the eyes of the law, are considered righteous. Okay, so it's a, a declaration of one's legal standing. Okay, if you are not guilty, you are righteous um, before the law. But on the other hand, if the judge deems you not guilty, no, guilty for the, for committing that crime. Well, they are uh, declared unrighteous. And so regarding, um, so it's the, it's the righteousness is the declaration of the righteous as righteous. Now, obviously, when, uh, as humans, we understand righteousness in, in, in one way. Okay, we all have a, a sense of, of what is right and, and wrong, and um, therefore as, uh, our own bar of, of righteousness. And I think for many of us, we, we think, yeah, well, you know, we, we, we kind of up there. I mean, we, we're not murderers. We're not um, rapists. We're not serial killers. We, you know, we're not corrupt like our government. You know, we... Um, we're kind of decent people, relatively speaking. And so we, according to our own standards of righteousness, we, we think we're okay. And I think this is a big part of um, the, the problem, especially in, in this context here. With, you know, we've got a lot of cultural Christianity. Um, and so we, we think we're actually pretty decent people. So when... We hear that, oh no, we are, are, are sinners, or even that, that um, 
you know, the, uh, the, we hear about, the Bible teaches about total depravity. I think it's hard for us to really say, or think uh, deep down, when I am unrighteous. I am a, 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 a sinner. It's because we think, uh, you know, the only really bad people are sinners. And you see, the, the problem with this, and that's why self-righteousness is a, is a problem, in, especially in, in our you know, our, our context. We, we think we're okay. And the problem here is that we have our own bar of righteousness. And it's a relative standard of righteousness. And we lose sight of God's righteousness and the, what is ultimately righteous. And this is where righteousness and holiness are, are connected. We looked at holiness last week. The more we have a, a glimpse of just how holy God is, the more we understand just how far we, we fall short and how unholy we are on our own and how unrighteous, therefore, we are. Because the reality is the, the, the standard of, uh, of, of righteousness is not judged did not determine by ourselves. Yeah, when we come to the last day, it's not gonna, we're not gonna say, you know, but hey, you know, I lived a decent life. Yeah, in our own eyes. That's gonna count for nothing. <laughs> what is the only thing is going to count is God's righteousness and, and how he determines it. And how has God determined what is considered righteousness? Is it, is it a subjective thing? Can it be observed um, uh, in, a, in a concrete way? How, do we, how can we determine what God's righteousness is? Anyone? Okay, absolutely. Yeah, he is the righteous one. But why? Why was Jesus? Why would we look at Jesus? Why was Jesus? Is Jesus the only righteous one? What, what did he do? Okay, absolutely. And why was he without sin? Yeah, he perfectly obeyed the law of God. So if we want to understand the righteousness of God, exactly what it is, well, it's revealed to us in the law. The law is a revelation of what God's righteousness is, is all about. Okay, God is the supreme lawmaker. He is the legislator. He gives us standards on, on how we live. We, we don't come about these things on our own. There's no subjective law about what I think is right. My truth and your truth, they may be contradictory, but we can each have our own truth. No, before God, there's one Truth, one standard of righteousness, one law that is for all creation. All human beings, believers, unbelievers alike, are going to be judged by the same law. And that's why there is what we call a natural law. Okay, that it, God is not unfair. Okay, it's not that oh, not only Christians who knew about the law are going to be, you know, um, they could obey it, but then the, the, the pagans in the Amazon did it, were ignorant of it, so the, it's unfair that God would judge them with these same standards. Not so. 
Okay, Romans 2, 15 to 16 tells us that God has written his law in the hearts of even the Gentiles, of the pagans, so that everyone, believer and unbeliever alike, have a sense of right and wrong. Okay, the Ten Commandments are essentially what we call natural law. They're an expression of, of natural law. Every culture around the world has some kind of a sense that, say, murder is wrong, adultery is wrong, that we need to worship something. And yes, it gets twisted because of our sinfulness. And that's why the, the, the unbeliever, the, 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 the pagan uh, tendency is to worship the creation instead of the creator. Okay, but that desire to worship something is evidence of natural law. Okay, so any, any questions so far? Yes. Ah, okay. So basically, because he was God, he, in his divine essence, he, you know, he was righteous and perfect in, in that. Okay, no, that, that's, that's a good question. Um, well, this is the, the heart of the mystery of the incarnation, is that he was both, he is both truly God and, and, and truly man. Welcome, welcome. Um, and but regarding his his obedience to the law on earth, you see, he didn't just pop out, um, kind of uh, fully righteous in himself. Yes, he was perfect, is and always was perfect. But as regard to his humanity, he had to, he, you know, Galatians 4 says, well, he, he came to, to live under the law. He was born under the law. So he had to, we call this his act of obedience. He, he had to obey the law because he was man. He had to, um, just like the, the first Adam, okay, had to obey the law in the garden, and he failed. And that's precisely why God sent his son, Jesus, the last Adam, to succeed, to fulfill what the first Adam couldn't do. So Jesus, in his ministry, as man, had to obey the same law, the same covenant that the first Adam couldn't. And in so doing, where the first Adam imputed unrighteousness and sin to us now through the last Adam's obedience to the law, trusting in him, he imputes to us his perfect righteousness. So it's very important for us to believe that, that Jesus, in his humanity, actively obeyed the whole Torah, the whole law, so that he earned this righteousness in himself. He earned heaven. Yeah, because the first Adam had heaven... You, uh, placed out to him as the reward for his covenantal obedience. And he failed. And that's why everyone outside of Christ plunged into hell. Doesn't get heaven. 
But we receive heaven not by our obedience to the law, but we receive heaven through trusting in Christ's obedience to the law, which is perfect. And he's merited heaven for us. So this is really, really key in understanding um, really the foundation of the gospel, that Jesus' active obedience and earning righteousness, which we receive as a gift of grace through faith in Christ. Alex? I just thought like maybe it's, it's worth noting there's a difference between sinlessness and righteousness. Correct. So born in sinlessness, but wasn't righteous. He had to become righteous as a positive yeah. You know, state. Yeah, that, that's, that's a good distinction. Okay, so sinlessness is blank slate. Okay, not sinful. And then righteousness is yeah, accredited to, to him. Yeah. Well, yes, um, but by virtue of him being God, um, this is also the mystery of the incarnation here. He wouldn't have sinned. Um, it's otherwise he wouldn't have been God. Yeah. It was still that. I mean, they wouldn't have mentioned it in the Bible. It wasn't such a big thing that he said no. Yeah. No, he had to be. That was a part of his, his act of obedience to resist the, the temptation. Um, that was basically the same tempt, similar temptation that Adam faced in the garden, Jesus faced in the wilderness. And Jesus resisted that and earned. It was a part of his, his obedience. Yeah, absolutely. Any more questions there? Okay, so now the scripture tells us that God helps the righteous, yet he condemns the guilty. Okay, that God gives to people according to their works. Okay, and you see that in there's like Romans 2, 5 to 6, Exodus 23, 7. So how then is it possible for God to save unrighteous sinners? Doesn't this mean that God is acting against his own character? Well, actually, God's righteousness is precisely expressed by saving and justifying sinners. Okay, and how is this so? Okay, because remember, Nahum 1 verse 3 says that God will not justify the wicked. So is God contradicting himself here now that in Christ he does justify the wicked? No. Okay, it is precisely, justifies the wicked precisely because of Christ. Okay, so this is why Romans 1.17, which is quoting Habakkuk 2 verse 4, says the righteous shall live by faith. Okay, this was, if you listen carefully to Brendan's Reformation trivia the other uh, week, 
this was like the one of the most important verses in the spark of the Reformation. Yeah, Luther ate his cup of espresso, which was new to Europe at the time, a gift from the Turks. And then he looked at Romans one uh, seventeen and oh, <laughs> he received illumination by the Spirit. Okay, so the the. The heart of that verse, the righteous shall live by faith. Anybody anybody want to explain that? Why is that such a significant verse with relation to the gospel? Sorry? Yeah. Okay, the medieval church... um, had taught for centuries that you are righteous by your own obedience to, to the law. And yeah, in black and white, in the text of Scripture, says, no, you're righteous through faith, through faith in Christ specifically. And so you see, it's the gospel that enables sinners to be declared righteous. Okay, and so this comes back to, um, Patrick, your question earlier. And already what we, we looked at, at there um, with the, uh, Christ coming as the last Adam okay, to fulfill um, righteousness that the first Adam wasn't able to, to do. The first Adam disobeyed the law and plunged the whole of humanity into sin. But Jesus comes as the second Adam and actively obeys the law. And because of that, he earns Righteousness. He's the only perfect human who's, who, who is righteous in himself. And so what this means then is that it's, it's his righteousness, which Luther called an, an alien righteousness. Um, his righteousness is counted to us by faith. Okay, so we, and therefore... Before the judge of heaven and earth, clothed in this righteousness, we declared not guilty. We declared righteous. But we must understand the nature of this declaration or the imputation of this righteousness is not that we become righteous in ourselves. Okay, that is the Roman Catholic teaching. It's a confusion of justification and sanctification. That when in Christ, then in ourselves, we, we, are, we, we are perfect. Okay, no. Um, because that by default actually leads to a works righteousness salvation, thinking we, we have to earn, we have to, to display our salvation through our, 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 our good behavior. The truth of Scripture is instead is that we... Even in Christ, we are still sinners. But we are sinners which, who are justified. We are sinning saints. So it's, we are, it's both and. Okay, we are no longer under the dominion of sin. The power of sin has been broken from us. We are no longer slaves to sin. But yet we still have indwelling sin in us. Okay, we still have tendencies to, to do things that we know are wrong. And if we honest with ourselves that's we struggle with that every day whether it's on our thoughts and the thoughts of our hearts our words our actions but yet we are justified we are before god we are declared righteous 
And so Luther articulated in this way in, in, in Latin, simul justus et peccator. Okay, so at the same time, righteous and a sinner. And so what this means then is that we are clothed or, or the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us. Remember, it, it remains his righteousness. It's not our own righteousness. It's an alien righteousness. And it's, it's, it's his righteousness which he earned by his obedience to the law that now is the basis for, for our salvation. And that's why when we read it two weeks ago in, in our... Um, Confession, Heidelberg Catechism, um, question and answer 60 is magnificent. It explains this truth that clothed in the righteousness of God, God treats us and looks upon us as if we had not sinned nor been a sinner. And sees us as, his, as, as, as Christ. And it's profound. And so this is the confidence that we can have as Christians in coming into the presence of God. Okay, that's why we, uh, God greets us every Lord's Day. Grace and peace to you, God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We receive that welcome from God with grace and peace. On what merit? On what basis? Not on ourselves because we've, had horrific weeks probably, but we receive it on the basis of the righteousness of Christ. As we, when we come into God's presence, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, God sees us as his own. As, uh, he sees us like Jesus, and he, not only that, he has adopts, he's adopted us as his own son. So if we can approach the Lord without um, fear, without any condemnation, and enjoy him. As our good Father who has blessed us with abundant grace that, that we don't deserve. Any questions? Yes, Patrick. So, uh, I have it this way now. The Reformed teachings that from the Scriptures. So, we hear the gospel. Yeah. The person hears the gospel. He believes, so that's the power of the gospel unto salvation. Uh, in that believing, he becomes righteous because of what Jesus has done. So that there is a sort of a, a sense of you become righteous, not because of your works, but yeah. because of something that happened. And the Reformed doctrine says that, well, the reason you became righteous or believed is because God had caused your heart. Okay, well, let me just clarify some categories there. Okay, I think what you're trying to say that um, you're talking about our salvation. Okay, so we, we, as I said, we don't become righteous. We are becoming righteous by virtue of our the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. But we have been counted righteous before God, completely now, but to receive this gift of faith, to receive this gift of grace from God, this righteousness in Christ, 
yes, God had to work in us first to give us the, um, by his spirit, um, to give us the gift of faith in order that we would trust Jesus. So it, it's all his. It's all his work. We didn't, we, we just receive it like somebody giving a gift to us, which it is. But it's all his doing. Even the fact that we're able to have faith is, is from him because he re- regenerated us first. He raised us from death to life first. And then we're able to receive him by faith. Is that where you're going with it? Yeah. <laughs> it's a journey. <laughs> <laughs> Let's continue to chat, Patrick. <laughs> This is the glory of the sovereignty of God and our salvation. If we even had 1% to do with it, it wouldn't be great. We would be able to boast in that 1%. Saying, yes, I, I managed, I contributed something here, but we did nothing. <laughs> and that's the beauty of it. We just receive it. By faith in Christ. All his glorious work from beginning to end. Yes, if you think about it, a dead person can't receive anything. Mm. If you were there, you wanted to give them something, they're lying there, stone dead. Yeah. You, you can't receive something if you're dead. Mm. Something to make you alive first, then you can receive it if you're Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, so we'll leave wrath for, for next week. Um, so let's, let's pray. Father God, thank you for this good news that the righteous live by faith. And faith in your son, Jesus Christ, who has counted the perfect righteousness of Christ to us. And because of that, we know that in him there is no, now no more condemnation. So, Lord, as we um, prepare our hearts for the worship service, Lord, would, would this truth be, um, be fresh in our minds that um, you welcome us into your presence um, and we can um, worship you and, and enjoy you by knowing that you have removed our sins as far as the east is from the west, that you look upon us as you look on Christ. And indeed, you have adopted us as your own son. So we have nothing to fear. Instead, we, we can look forward to being welcomed um, and as we worship you, our glorious King of kings and Lord of lords. Pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.